Take your Bibles and turn to 2 John, please. We were in 1 John this morning. We'll be in 2 John this afternoon. I'm going to direct your attention to verse 7. We'll read down a few verses here. I'm going to try to unpack these verses, bring a few principles out for our, our admonition today. The Bible says, For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. If you look at the context of Second John, John has been speaking about walking in truth and walking in love, and he's been commending those who've demonstrated that by their life. In other words, um, they've lived out what they've talked and, and what they have said they believe, and so they've been walking, living in truth and love, and John has been commending that, them for demonstrating that in their life. And, and I would say that there's a difference between just having truth and actually living truth. And the principle is pretty simple. The principle is spirituality is a lot more than dull or dead orthodoxy. It's a vital response to truth that is lived out in, uh, in your life, a response to God's will. Walking in truth um, to some people it looks as dry and dusty as, as last year's bird's nest that's not inhabited anymore. Um, having right thinking, which is orthodoxy, without orthopraxy, which is right doing or right practice, is just uh, dead, empty religion. And there's a lot of churches that are like that today. They, they don't experience truth. They just assert truth, meaning that they speak it, they maybe even hold it, but they don't really live it. They might be sound in doctrine, but they're sound asleep in vitality. And it won't be long uh, before that kind of, of thing and that kind of church implodes. That kind of church ceases to function and exist like it should. The Pharisees of 2,000 years ago, they believed the Bible they, they had the, the Old Testament, but they were dead to an actual vital walk with God. And so what I'm saying is walking in truth is more than just believing truth. It's actually practicing and living truth. And that is so critical to, to being safe. And it's so critical to, to staying strong. It's so critical to continuing uh, in the faith and, and serving the Lord. There's one preacher who said this. If, you're not, if you aren't practicing what you say you believe, it won't be long and you will not.
not say you believe it anymore. Verse 7 says, for many deceivers are entered into this world. Verse 7 is there because of verse 6. Verse 6 says, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now verse 7 is there because of verse 6. And he says what you need to do is to walk and to continue in what you have heard from the beginning. Now if we were to ask the question, what was it, as John is writing here, what was it that they had heard from the beginning? Well, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us, he says, that which, we, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have also seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you go to the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, there's some very similar wording here in John 1. In verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. You skip down to verse 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And what I'm saying and what John is saying is that spiritual life and eternal life and what we've preached unto you from the very beginning is only in Jesus Christ. That's what they heard from the beginning. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ has come to this world that he might redeem sinful men. That is what you have heard from the beginning. Continue in that. Walk in that. Don't be turned away from it. That leads to John's statement in verse 7 and following, where he says there are many deceivers who are entered into this world who confess not that Jesus has come in the flesh. And so that's the basis here <clears throat> for what John is talking about. We're, we're certainly going to consider that, but we're also going to expand it just a little bit with some other things that John says here. And in these verses, we're going to look at three things this afternoon. We're going to look at a warning against deceivers. Secondly, a warning about rewards. And then thirdly, a warning for those who partake in evil deeds. And we'll find all of these in these verses here. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be engaged with your word. There's some important truth today. Some things we need to be reminded of. Some warnings that we need in the days that we live in. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to you and faithful to your word, to never compromise, to never stray, Lord, to never go beyond the bounds of Scripture. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to stay straight and true according to the word of God and following our head, which is Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, consider the warning against deceivers in verse 7. <clears throat> John says there uh, in verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into this world who confess not that Jesus has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver 
and an antichrist. So John is, is moving into the reason for which he wrote this epistle, wrote this letter. And the reason was a safeguard of truth. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today, is safeguarding truth in our own life. The essential error in John's day that was rampant was that it was related to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. He was dealing with the Gnostics. He was dealing with others who denied that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. They couldn't conceive of the fact that Jesus was both God and man, perfect man, and all of Christianity revolved around the doctrine of Jesus Christ. He says the person who denies that is an antichrist. The word antichrist means someone who's opposed to Christ. And so anyone who denies the full deity of Jesus Christ is deceived and is a deceiver and is opposed to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I know that, Pastor. Good. I'm just reminding you of it. The question or the thing that needs to be addressed is what John was talking about in his day is not any different in our day. And it requires some discernment in our day. Because there are groups and there are people who say they believe in Jesus Christ, but their version of Jesus Christ is not the full deity of Jesus Christ. There are groups who say, yes, Jesus uh, existed, but Jesus was a created being. Or there are groups who say that Jesus was the brother of Satan. And there are, there are those who say that Jesus was a good man, but Jesus was not God. And anything that is in denial of the deity of Jesus Christ is not of God. It's an anti Christ. It's opposed to Christ. There are many fakes. There are many deceivers in this world that even would sneak into local churches with their false doctrines. And the point that I'm making is we need to be on guard. We need to be discerning. And maybe you say, well, we would never, we would never be deceived by false doctrine concerning Jesus Christ. We should never say never, number one only by the grace of God. Number two, it goes beyond just that because there's more, there's more to uh, the truth or the doctrine of Christ than just that. But let me make this application. There needs to be some discrimination in a culture of non-discrimination. Because there are churches that were maybe at one point good churches who've stopped exercising some spiritual discernment, at some point along the way, they've departed from the doctrine of truth. At some point along the way, something has happened, and it starts very subtly, and it's not brazen at first, but it's something that maybe is underneath the surface, something that is working its ill in the, lives of a, in the life of a church and lives of people. And these were once good churches who at some point has strayed along the way and it's grown and even led to these churches preaching another Jesus, which is not another. It's not another one of the same kind. Listen, there needs to be some discrimination and some discernment. Because just because a church has has independent Baptist on the sign doesn't mean that it's preaching a true gospel. There's a lot of false gospels. And just because we say we believe in Jesus doesn't mean that we're preaching a true gospel. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. There needs to be discernment. 
because it, just because they say they believe in Jesus doesn't mean that we can join hands with them, and it certainly doesn't mean that we can accept their baptism. When they're preaching a, a gospel that says, uh, you know, all you got to do is believe in Jesus, one, two, three, repeat after me, oh, you confess Christ, you're saved, you're born again, it's a false gospel. Unless there is repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ, that is not a true gospel. There's not true salvation. There needs to be some discernment. Culture has permeated the minds of Christians who claim to hold the truth. But it's the very same culture that's trying to neutralize truth or destroy truth. And if a person is wrong about Jesus Christ, he's wrong about everything else, friends. And from God's point of view, that's the only point of view. The person and work of Jesus Christ is the standard of measurement for everything that matters to God. And anything that repudiates the deity of Jesus Christ is an antichrist. And so John gives a warning, first of all, against deceivers. But secondly, there's a warning concerning rewards. And I want to spend some time here. Because I want you to notice what John says in verse 8. He says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Here's a warning concerning rewards. John uses the word look here. He says, look to yourselves. It's in the present tense. And the meaning of that word is to be continually on guard, to be continually guarding. In other words, and it's present tense, so there's never a time when you should not be guarding, is, is what John is saying. He says, look to yourselves. And if the meaning of the word is continually guarding, guarding against what is the question? Well, what's the context? Well, he's speaking about false doctrine here. False doctrine is what he's talking about. In other words, continually be on guard concerning false doctrine. False doctrine is everywhere, friend, even in Baptist circles today. It's easy to become tainted with false teaching. It's easy also to get caught up in the crowd if we are not stable ourselves and grounded ourselves in the Word of God. It's very sad when once good churches experience a split or a breakup for whatever reason, and those, there are people involved who become collateral damage in the mix of it all. Maybe those people weren't the cause of it, but they got caught up and carried away with it in the crowd. And how does a person get caught up and carried away with it in the crowd? It happens when we are not grounded and stable ourselves in the truth of God's word. We're swayed by men. We're swayed by teaching that can be false teaching. We're persuaded to think a certain way when the standard ought to be, is this the word of God? And so John says, look to yourselves. Look to yourselves that you lose not. 
The phrase, look to yourselves here, it's a verb, and it implies something. It implies that the individual needs to have spiritual discernment in his own life, and there needs to be that earnestness for guarding against false doctrine in his own life. In other words, saints of God, watch out for spiritual disaster in your own life. It's a very real thing. It can happen to anybody who is not diligently watching and guarding. I'm going to tell you about something later on when I'm done. But it's something that's grievous to the soul. It's something that is, could be very discouraging. But it's something that we actually shouldn't be surprised about but the, but the result or the, the, what, is, what, the, what I'm going to tell you about is something that actually blows my mind. It's a shame. It's a shameful thing. And things that we think would never happen or could never happen or aren't possible to happen, happen in this life, especially when we are not guarding against false teaching or guarding truth in our own life. How many people have experienced that spiritual disaster at some point and they look back and they lament and they say, how did I get here? Oh, how I wish I could regain what I have lost. John says, look to yourselves that you lose not those things which we have wrought. In other words, we've gained a certain ground. We've come to a certain place. Don't take that for granted. Be on guard because you could lose what we've worked for. So there's a couple principles here that I want to bring out. The first principle is this. The existence of error demands that we have self-examination. That's what John is dealing with, the existence of error. And he's challenging the people he's writing to, to look to yourselves that you don't lose the ground that you've gained. And so the principle is that the existence of error demands that there be some self-examination. And the application is this, a departure from truth in your life is going to mean a loss of reward. Now you can never lose your salvation, but apparently a reward for service is something that can be lost. And the point is that in our Christian life, we cannot afford to relax our vigilance against false teaching or false thinking. It's only going to lead to compromising our positions that we say that we believe. And it always starts very subtly. It's not something that's very brazen. We maybe have a, a way of thinking that we've convinced ourselves is God's will, and it's actually an agenda that we have for ourselves, and we've just convinced ourselves this is the way of God. We start listening to other voices. We start having all of these other influences that convince us that we're moving in the right direction. And we start questioning, or we start thinking that our way of thinking is actually right. And we don't go back to this book right here for the standard of what I'm thinking. And we can become deceived. 
We need to be continually examining ourselves and our way of thinking. And does it line up with what this book says? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 16. Paul tells Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The admonition to Timothy was, you take heed to yourself, but you also take heed to the doctrine. And he says, continue in that, because that's what's going to save you and those that would hear you. There are religious sweet talkers out there that will seduce you. There are people who are convincing in the words that they say because they're dynamic in their personalities and they're very persuasive. There's all kinds of things that if we listen to it or we stray from the word of God, it's only going to lead to loss and ruin. You know, you better be careful about the friends that you keep. What you listen to, who you listen to, what you read, those are things that need to be checked. Just because a Christian pastor, a Christian friend says something is so, doesn't make it so. The question is, is it truly Bible? That's the real question. And we always need to go back to this book to search the scriptures, whether these things be so. And so the existence of error that is out there, it's all around. It demands some self-examination. We always need to be on guard and checking. The second principle is that as a Christian, we ought to aim for a full reward. What does John say? He says, look to yourselves, he says, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. The word reward, it means a pay for service. It was a term for a day laborer's wage, and people who would work for a living should receive due wages for their labor. Well, the scriptures teach us concerning a reward for our labors. We're going to look at a few verses here. I'm going to have some of you men read. Chris, I'd like you to look up Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Uh, Caleb, would you look up 1 Corinthians chapter 3? And I'm going to have you read several verses, verses 8 through 15. Uh, Jordan, can you look up Colossians chapter 3 in verse 23 and through 25? And then Seth, please look up 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Does anybody need a repeat of what I've asked you to read? Okay, go ahead, Chris. Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12. Listen as he reads in these scriptures concerning rewards. The Bible tells us that there's a reward in heaven for those who are persecuted for the name of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Mm -hmm. 
So the Apostle Paul tells us that every man's work, his life work, is going to be tried. And every man's life work is going to be made manifest because the day will declare it. And and he talks about it being revealed by fire because the fire is going to try every man's work of what sort it is. And Paul goes on to say that the life's work that you give that is given to the Lord, that's spiritual, it's, it's gold, silver, precious stones. It's going to last. But those life works that we invest in the temporal, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be burned up. And it's not going to exist anymore. And he says, if any man's work abide, he shall receive a reward. Those rewards come in the form of crowns, is what how I believe it or how I see it in the scriptures. And eventually those crowns, those rewards that we gain, we're going to turn around and give back to the Lord, cast at Jesus' feet. Our life's work needs to last. The point is, is that we'll receive a reward. The next one, Colossians chapter 3. Yes, sir. Right, so we receive a reward for the good that we have done. The scriptures also say you receive something for the wrong you've done as well. But we receive it of God, the Bible says. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Apostle Paul says, my life's work, it's over, and I know that I'm going to receive a a reward for my life's work from the Lord himself, and not to me only, but to them also that love his appearing. The point that I'm making here is that we only have a short time here on this earth to invest for eternity. And John says, look to yourselves that you don't lose what you've wrought, and so also that you can receive a full reward. The question is, will there be any crowns? Will there be any reward? Will there be any fruit? Will you have something to present to the master? And you and I are accountable for the life that God has given to us. And God is going to search us. He's going to give a reward for what we've done for his glory. And the, and, and the, the principle is, don't let anybody cheat you out of a full reward. Don't compromise truth. Stay strong. Don't be seduced. Don't falter because rewards can be lost. It's a perspective that I'm thinking over and over in light of what I'm going to tell you later. Something I haven't thought of quite the same before until now. And it and it terrifies me, actually. Of the reality of the fact that we have an opportunity to to be rewarded of Christ for labor done for him. But if we are not on guard, if we are not watching, if we are not careful, we should not take those things for granted because we could just as easily lose all that God intends us to be rewarded for. 
Go back to our text, and I want to point out one last thing. And there's a warning for those who participate or partake in evil deeds. John says in verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth not or abideth in the doctrine of Christ seeth both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So John gives a warning here regarding being a partaker in evil deeds. In verse 9, he says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. So let's consider the context that John is talking about false doctrine. He's talking about abiding in the doctrine of Jesus Christ and all that that concerns. In our terms and in our day, what we could say is really all that is in this book is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? It goes beyond just what we believe in Jesus Christ. It's really in this book. And the principle here is those who go beyond the bounds of Scripture are not of God. He says the one who doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ is not of God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. He uses the word transgresseth. It means to... Uh, something that is contrary. It means something that oversteps or goes beyond or goes onward. It goes beyond the bounds. So whosoever transgresseth or goes beyond the bounds is not of God. John is dealing with the Gnostics of his day. The Gnostics of his day thought that they thought that their teaching went beyond the apostolic or biblical view of Jesus Christ. That's what he was dealing with in his day. And he said anything that goes beyond that or outside of the bounds of that is not of God. There are false teachers out there who profess that they have come to or have some new revelation from God. Anybody who professes that they have some new revelation from God is a fake and a liar and not of God. Because we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness here. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard of a guy named Peter Ruckman? Peter Ruckman, and there are Ruckmanite churches. There's one in Fairbanks, in fact. Peter Ruckman was a guy who believed in the King James Version of the Bible. He was a staunch defender of the King James Version. Peter Ruckman was an independent Baptist, even. However... He believed that he uncovered over 14 Bible truths that had been hidden from all Bible students for the past 2,000 years. In other words, he was saying, I've discovered some things in the King James Bible that no other Bible student has ever discovered in the past 2,000 years. Arrogance. He wrote a book called The Unknown Bible. And in that book, Ruckman claims... And says, these are his words, Do you realize that in these last two chapters, you have learned a dozen things that were unknown to the greatest Bible teachers in the world? In 2,000 years of church history, they haven't been able to find the passage which dealt with these things, which we've been talking about. Arrogance. He believed 
that the translators of the King James Version were inspired of God themselves and that the King James corrects even the Greek or Hebrew that was originally given by God. It's called advanced revelation. There are groups that claim that the Bible is not fully sufficient to tell us what we need to know about God. And I'm telling you, friend, all of those groups are in error. We don't need human reasoning or some other man-written book to help us reveal truth about God. We need to stay within the bounds of Scripture, is the point. Now, I'm going to broaden this just a little bit as I make this application. Anytime anybody goes beyond the bounds of Scripture in anything, it's not of God. Let me say it again. Anytime anybody goes beyond the bounds of Scripture in anything, it is not of God. When men stand in pulpits and they tell people that they can't possibly understand or discern the will of God for a church, that only a pastor can know those things, and your job is simply to follow what he says, let me tell you, that is not of God. It's not what the Word of God teaches. That is going beyond the bounds of Scripture, and when it goes beyond the bounds of Scripture, it's not of God. Let me give you an example. Go to Acts chapter 17 with me. In Acts chapter 17, look with me in verse 10. The Bible says in verse 10, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So what is happening here? The Apostle Paul, he goes into the synagogue of the Jews. He's teaching and preaching in the synagogue of the Jews. He's in Berea, and verse 11 says, those of Berea were more noble than those of Thessalonica. For what reason? In that, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. There's three words I want to draw your attention to. The first word is received. These people received the word. It means they accepted the word that was given. They did that with all readiness of mind. The word means a willing mind. They received it as the word of God with a ready mind, not the words of men. But then it says they searched the scriptures, whether these things were so. The word search means to investigate and to discern. And the point that I'm making here is what were they investigating? What were they discerning? All the things that the preacher was saying. He was preaching in the synagogue search the scriptures, whether these things were so. Listen, you have a responsibility to know this book for yourself. You have a responsibility to be grounded in truth for yourself. You have a responsibility, just like I do, to line everything up that somebody says with this book. Is it true according to this word? If it's not, if it's outside of the bounds of scripture, it's not of God. There are people who stand in pulpits these days and say to the people, you can't possibly know. You're not equipped to know the will of God. 
for the church. A pastor knows that, and you just have to be quiet, and you just have to follow. Not so, friends. Not so. Not according to the word of God. These people, the church people, had the responsibility to search the scriptures, whether these things were so. And the word search means to investigate and to discern. You know what? You can discern the will of God from the spirit of God and from the word of God. That'll that'll make a lot more sense in just a little bit. The last thought is that we said here that anything that is outside of the bounds of scripture is not of God. But then John says, lastly, or the thought here is that there is no latitude for differences in the doctrine of Christ. He says in verse 10, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. What is John talking about here? Well, he's talking again about false teaching concerning Christ, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he's the only Savior, that he is the Christ, he's the anointed of God, he is the Lamb of God, he was sacrificed for sins, he's the shepherd of the soul, he was a sinless, perfect Savior, he's our substitute to take our place for the penalty that we deserved. Essentially, all that Christ is. Amen? And those who abide not in that doctrine, they're lost. And John says, don't be a partaker of their evil. Now, there are doctrines in the Bible that might have some room for some honest differences of application. But there's no room for differences in the doctrine of Christ and who he is. If we're wrong about Christ, it'll cost a person their soul. And accommodating or sharing is partaking in the evil deed. John says, don't let them in your home. Don't let them in your life. Don't even bid them farewell. Lest you become sharer in the destruction that they cause. Now Jude talks about some of these very things. And Lord willing, we're going to teach and preach out of Jude next Sunday how we need to earnestly contend for the faith. Uh, there would be some that have crept in unawares. And we're going to talk about that as well, Lord willing. But the point is, have nothing to do with false teaching, false doctrine. Those who would subvert, subvert truth in your life, don't let it into your life. It needs to be protected. Truth needs to be guarded. It needs to be guarded vigilantly in your own life. You need to be on guard. And you know what? Being protective of truth or being on guard for truth and even having to take a stand that I don't agree with you according to the word of God, therefore I cannot walk with you. That's not about being unloving It's not about being unkind toward people. But it is about being decisive in dealing with error. When Christians deviate from the truth, they defect from God, who is truth. And it just takes one small step, which leads to another step, which leads to another step. 
don't take any steps to the right or to the left. Amen? What does the Word of God say? Then we stay right there. We need to guard that in our life. It's so, so critical, so important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be vigilant in our own life concerning truth. To look to ourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. That we might receive a full reward. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have discernment. That you'd help us to be guarding truth, continually guarding it in our life. To not let things slip. Lord, to always have the word as the standard. To study it. To know it. And Lord, I pray that we would stand firmly on it. And in this dark age, in an age of compromise, maybe even in a time of a great falling away or a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, Lord, I pray that we would ever be faithful by your grace to your word and to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus, keep